Today, a special episode of Return to Reason, where knowledge and wisdom intersect. My guest today is an emeritus professor of anthropology, McGill University, a field for which he has studied in and researched for 50 years. With an impressive academic record and a passion for freedom of thought, Dr. Salzman is also the president of Scholars for Peace in the Middle East. It is my absolute honor to welcome one of Frontier Center's most distinguished fellows, author and speakers, Dr. Philip Salzman. Thanks for joining us today. Um, it's my pleasure to be here. Well, let's just start right away with your personal story. And uh, you've had some things to say about, you know, you've had a long tenure and how much you've enjoyed it, but things have been changing in our universities and you've noticed it. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, um, I originally came to McGill in 1968. Um, and I taught at McGill for 50 years. Wow. Um, and uh, I'm an anthropologist and, and my field of study is to me very fascinating. One of the things about anthropology is you can study anything, any topic under the field of anthropology uh, and you can do it anywhere in the world. I did my research. Um, my first research was in the deserts of the Middle East. I lived with a nomadic tribe. Um, later, I went to India and I studied uh, people who raise livestock in India. And then I, uh, I did a further field study in Sardinia um, uh, of the uh, Highland, uh, Highland Pastori, people also raising, raising sheep there. Uh, so, uh, to me, uh, it's it's a wonderful field that gets that gives you the opportunity to to learn about people all around the world and to try and discover what how societies work, what culture is really about, and what people want in different places, and what they fear, uh, what they hope for, and so on. So this area of, of cultures as they develop, when you when you look at a country, like you're talking about specific groups of people with one specific culture. So it must be really interesting to look at a place like Canada and to see we call ourselves multicultural and we have a whole bunch of cultures in a nation which we all love, but what is Canadian culture? Oh, I think we've been misled. I know the prime minister likes to say that there is no central culture in Canada, but I think when you actually look at Canadian culture, you find that there is a very important core. Look at language alone. Okay. There are two official languages and everybody has to be able to participate in at least one and ideally in both. Uh, the other uh, is look at our law. We have two systems of law. One is French, one is English. We have a very specific uh, system of law. And we have, we have traditions in, in Canada. Uh, and those traditions, I think, uh, stem from, uh, from the Judeo-Christian tradition and from the Enlightenment. Uh, and 
those are very important and they distinguish Canada from many countries around the world. So I think that uh, that the idea that we don't have a core culture, that we're multicultural, uh, I think that's a, a bit of a political statement <laughs> yeah. and shows an agenda that's looking to kind of a globalist, international institutions undermining the nation state as, as a unit. Uh, so I, I see it less as a fact than as a bit of political propaganda. Wow, that's good to know. That's, that's very interesting. Now, as we look at, look at um, our universities and the thinking that's coming out of our emerging generations, um, there seems to be a trend towards Marxism and wokeism in universities. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Agree, disagree, and, and just fill me in. Well, when I came into McGill and when I went to university myself, uh, the point of academia was to discover truth. Hmm. Right. And, uh, and that's, that's basically, that was your job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and deviation from that was regarded as very, very offensive. Uh, what we had since then uh, has been increasingly the adoption of ideologies. <laughs> and uh, there, uh, there, there's always, always been some Marxists in universities, but orthodox Marxism um, was never very convincing to North Americans because North Americans tended to see themselves as middle class, not as proletarians, not as oppressed workers. Workers, uh, and especially unionized workers, were paid very well. Uh, and so orthodox Marxism with this class conflict between the capitalists and the proletarian workers that were being exploited, that never sold in North America. Uh, but the, the idea that the Marxist idea that there is a class conflict between oppressors mm-hmm. and, and oppressed, uh, oppressors and exploited, was one that was adopted by various interest groups. So it was initially picked up by the feminists in the form of uh, the patriarchy versus oppressed uh, females. Uh, was later picked up by gays uh, and, and being oppressed by heterosexuals. Uh, then race activists picked it up that now it's whites who oppress people of, uh, people of color. Um, uh, so the Marxist model of, um, of oppressor and oppressed uh, fit the interests of very of very various particular group. So they uh, they adopted that that model, and it's transformed their view of of Canada and the United States and the West in general. Why is that so toxic? Well, because uh, it they condemn uh, all of Western culture, 
all of Western, um, everything that was produced in the West, that was invented in the West, that was constructed in the West, all institutions are deemed to have this uh, oppressive nature. And so you have even the president of the United States saying uh, that uh, America suffers from systemic racism. You have the prime minister of Canada saying that um, uh, we need to institute uh, uh, inclusion and diversity and equity uh, in all of our institutions uh, because uh, otherwise uh, uh, everyone is not going to be treated equally. And this is the other side of Marxism uh, that's been adopted. The, the idea that everyone has to be seen, not only seen as equal, but the results of their activities have to be equal to the results of other people's activities. So there's no more equality of opportunity. It's gotta be equality of outcome. Right. Which means that we have to make people and results that aren't equal, we have to make them equal by government force. So the government's deciding all of this, that there's a, there's a one kind of freedom that says we want a country that is so free, you have the opportunity to pursue anything you like. And then the other people who said, well, no, we have to have equal outcome. That just creates a mess, but it puts somebody in control of deciding it, moving money around, um, property, everything. It, it literally is just giving the government the absolute control if you go in that direction. This, this was straight from Trudeau's government, and it was a directive sent to every university. Every university president was asked to sign off on it. Uh, every, every academic institution has adopted it. Every granting agency, every professional association, and it's true not only uh, in the academic world, but in the professional world, um, the lawyers, the doctors, they've all signed up on, they've all signed up for this. Uh, and what it means is, what you have to understand is uh, these directives mean that an ideology has been adopted about the way things are. And that means you don't need to try and investigate reality and find out what truth is. You already know what the truth is. Right. And so anybody that speaks against this, this Marxist model uh, and this uh, insistence that all results come out equal uh, uh, is speaking against the established ideological truth and therefore has to be canceled, fired, punished, humiliated, right. and rejected. Before any of this works, you have to build within a nation um, people who feel oppressed. Without them and, recognize, and everyone agreeing, okay, they're oppressed, uh, 
you can't work this kind of quote unquote magic. And uh, so it's coming out of our universities and it's focused on, like you said, Western nations. It's fo and it's focused on white people. It's focused on these things and it's trying to make it evil with no good at all. Is that true? Yes, I'm afraid that that is the picture. Keep in mind that women make up 50% of the population. And so uh, they have been, and, and in the past, certainly there was good reason for women to feel that they haven't got, hadn't had a fair shake. Uh, but uh, it, as with all of these movements, uh, the demand for equality, the demand for fairness, uh, quickly uh, morphs into uh, a demand for supremacy and a demand for control and dominance. You have that uh, with the feminist movement, you have it with, with uh, uh, LGBTQ plus plus, you have it with, uh, with race. Uh, so, so what begins as a, at least the, the initial claim is for fairness and equality becomes uh, uh, quickly changes with some success into a demand for dominance. Uh, wow. and, that's, uh, and that's what you see in practice in universities. Universities are now in fact, statistically, as well as politically dominated by females. And uh, many positions and admissions uh, are uh, exclude males and whites. So you, ha you have a, an interesting situation where the majority of the population in Canada, 70% uh, of the population is white. And yet uh, in Canada, they're excluded from jobs in academia. They're endless ads that say, this is uh, restricted to people of color, restricted to women, restricted to, uh, uh, to First Nations. But doesn't a country become great by finding the best person for the role regardless of sex and race and belief, et cetera? Well, um, that's, why, uh, that's why I think we can con consider this development uh, an example of, of the decadence of our society. Uh, it's, it's corrupt. It's been corrupted by this. I mean, in practically, in, in places where things that are really important, we don't allow this to intrude. There's no diversity, equity in hockey teams. That wouldn't be allowed. Right. They, they will only take the best people. They're not gonna take, they're not gonna have diversity hires. No. Uh, that's true in, it's true in the football leagues. They're not gonna hire people who can't do the job whatever color they are, whatever sex they are, yeah. uh, that, that's, they simply won't buy it. That's too important. But in the rest of society, uh, get ready. Uh, the airlines are now going to start hiring diversity pilots. 
Oh boy. I want the best I, pilots flying me. I don't care what color or race they are, as long as they're the best. You're, we're not, are we going to know that? No, we're not. Do you, do you really want your surgeon to be a diversity uh, admission? Uh, I think it's uh, in, in things where, where we, we see it's really important. Uh, but even there, it's going, it's going the way of the, the ideology. That's prejudiced thinking. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's it's the racism of low expectations. Right. You wrote a fascinating article. You were just talking about men and women, men in the way they are, and women the way they are. Tell me a little bit about that. The people who are talking about um, men and women uh, uh, want to ignore the built-in genetic biological differences between men and women because they say, oh, well, that's going to hold us down and limit us. It's been used as an excuse against us in the past. So we don't believe in that at all. We, there's nothing there. It's all, it's all what we imagine in our heads. Uh, but any anthropologist should be able to tell you that when you look at the development of human beings, uh, you can see that that, uh, uh, that men and women have developed in certain ways for extremely good reasons. For 200,000 200, years, human beings lived by hunting and gathering. What does hunting and gathering involve? Well, it means men go out with low-tech sticks and rocks in order to kill some animal that they can eat. The other thing is that human children are dependent on their parents for decades mm. yeah. because they're very, very slow developing. And so they have to be taken care of. Hmm. And so women needed special social skills and abilities in order to, uh, to bring together this support network to, to bring these extremely vulnerable uh, children uh, to, to adulthood. So the net result is men and women have different characteristics. Uh, women like to talk, they're very sociable, they're very nurturing. Men like to take risks. Men are more interested in things than in people. And so these are not negative traits. These are the traits that kept human beings alive for hundreds of thousands of years until just very recently, uh, um, 20,000 years ago, when we started to engage in, in cultivation. You know, we've been talking about different, in different areas, but the one thing that continually stands out to me is I loved what you said at the beginning, that we were to discover truth in academia. And so talking about it, debating it, questioning it, uh, was what made them so interesting. But if universities are gonna switch over to, we have an ideology that everyone has to adhere to, that there are the oppressed, and then there are those that oppress them, and we're gonna reconfigure uh, our government, well, that's going to get boring after a while. Like when I think back in time, and I remember 
when you look back at history, you say religions um, had absolute truth. The world is flat. Um, this is caused by, uh, you know, a God in, you know, this God in here, this God over there. Like they would do some things that science began to come along and say, well, let's just open this up to talk about. Because back then in certain religions, if you talked about uh, other things, oh man, you were in trouble. Uh, we're, well, we're going right back there with a new religion. And, uh, and everybody has to adhere to this new religion. Yes, you're absolutely right. Wokeism is a, is a religion. Yep. Uh, and if, if you disagree, you become a heretic and you have to be burned. Yeah. They're going to, uh, they're going to get you fired. They're going to get everybody on board doing this. The interesting thing, one th interesting thing to me is this isn't postmodernism. This is pre-modernism hmm. because, uh, the character characteristic of modern society is that people are judged by their achievements, not by ascription. That is not by the characteristics that they were born with, their family or their race or these things. Things that you're born with, that you're, you're ascribed to uh, without your choice. Uh, and that was the basis for society in pre-modern times from tribal societies, to aristocratic societies, serfs and peasants and feudal society and so on. Uh, and when we got into modern society, people started looking at what you did, what you achieved, what your contribution was, not what your family was or what you looked like. Uh, and modern society was built on this. Now with wokeism, we've gone back away from achievement to ascription. Now we judge people by their race, yeah. by their sex, by their sexuality. It's like us going down and as we're moving forward in dealing with this, we have completely turned it around and we are going to have, we are now an explosion of us back to judging one another again on skin, race, and color. Uh, I remember uh, listening to an article or reading an article about Russia and how they looked at successful people as oppressors when they were probably better farmers, better producers. And as they began to kill them off and as they began to destroy them, um, they got there because they were good at something. And Tell me a little bit about that. Would you agree? Like we've got so many examples of this ideology not working in countries. Well, yes, of course. The the, the kulaks were successful independent independent uh, farmers, and uh, independence was not something that that the communist state could tolerate, mm -hmm. uh, and so they they annihilated them. Uh, uh, not a, it was inhumane and foolish, um, uh, but uh, any any entity that's uh, between the individual and the state is not tolerated in socialist and communist societies, and so that's why you get movement to destroy the family, to destroy the church, right, to, to destroy uh, religious congregations because. The government 
in these societies and increasingly in Canada and the United States, they want everybody dependent directly on the government. Get rid of families, get rid of, get rid of churches, uh, uh, undermine them any way you can, undermine the family, undermine marriage, uh, to, uh, to make everyone dependent on, on the state which gives them maximal power. Uh, so uh, the vision, the Marxist vision is one that has, that has been adopted in Canada and in the U.S. By, by, the, by the liberals in Canada, by the Democrats uh, in the United States. As you look at equity and equality, this is something that people, if they don't, haven't looked at wokeism and they haven't studied uh, some of the things that are going on, it sounds so good to say that everybody should have um, equal outcome. The complexity of that is so huge when it comes to the desires of, of people, the desires of even different races, what the, you know, the desires of a man, a woman. Um, and we need, and, if, and people need to look at that and recognize that it is empowering somebody to make these decisions. And if we go back to being free, if we go back to the equality of opportunity, that's the best we could have. Am I saying that right in your mind, or what do you think? I, I agree with that. And an example of that is uh, the insistence that, um, uh, that there be... Uh, gender equality in every academic field. Let me let me revise that. In every academic field in which women don't dominate, because women dominate in most academic fields already. There are hardly any men in the social sciences, few in the humanities. Women dominate in social work and education and in law. Um, hmm and increasingly in medicine. Wow. So uh, what's left? STEM fields, the hard sciences, uh, and there, there's been huge efforts to increase the number of females in those fields. The problem is that given a free choice, women do not choose to go in those fields. They don't really like dealing with those things that men like to tinker with. But if they want to, they've got the freedom to go for it. Well, absolutely. But the point is the insistence that more women go into it, even though women choose not to, given free choice, as they've had until now, they go into all of these other fields. So, and in places like Sweden, which is female dominated, fewer, fewer women go into STEM than they do in North America. So the, Interesting. The, the, the argument that backs up equity and these ideas is where there is a statistical disparity, it's always the result of racism, sexism, and discrimination. Wow. And that's simply a lie. People never attempt to actually prove it. Right. They simply assert it. And if you disagree, they call you a racist, a racist. or a sexist. Well, 
our time is up, but man, we have covered a lot of areas and I'm going to encourage people just to uh, follow you, look at the body of work that you've already written and, and done in papers and take a look at this for themselves because we all need to be people who should go back again to discovering truth. Thank you so much, Professor Salzman, for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Return to Reason is supported by our fans. We are not handcuffed by advertisers or shareholders. The need for media with integrity is more important than ever. Consider becoming a partner and fueling the unheard truth by visiting returntoreason.tv.